When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I've got count to five. But you didn't do that last time. Oh, yeah. Get the background noise yeah. out. Um, you'll come to realise we're not like your typical no, we're uh, podcast podcasters. <laughs> so you'll, you'll probably come to realise that by the end and question yeah. our ability what a little you're bit. doing. <laughs> um, so... Welcome to the latest DNI Spy episode. Um, I'm Natasha Whitehurst. And I'm Dr. Julie Humphreys. We always promise a really candid discussion on those trickier topics that can, I guess, sometimes leave people feeling a bit uncomfortable. Yeah, we, we promise to dig deep on diversity and inclusion. And in today's pod, we're talking about whether there's a link between mental and physical health. And we are super excited to have Jacko Van Gas with us, described in his new book, Unequivocal, by Prince Harry, um, as one of life's most inspiring people. Um, the book that's only just been published is a tale about sport, life, about never giving in, um, no matter how difficult the road ahead is. Um, born in South Africa, um, you came to Britain at the age of 20 and joined the Parachute Regiment before losing um, your arm in Afghanistan. Um, we read that you tackled the North Pole, Everest. Um, you're a world record holder and Paralympic champion. Um, wow. Welcome. I could talk for hours. I, I read the book and I was <laughs> yeah. I was like, gripped. yes, gripped <laughs> is the word. No, thank you very much for having me. And uh, yeah, thank you for the, for the kind words. I, I can only say. Um, and so the book starts, you know, uh, and, you know, goes into a lot of detail. You were just 23 um, when you were hit by a grenade in Afghanistan, um, life-changing, and you know you say you sustained life-threatening, life-changing injuries. Um, tell us about what happened. Yeah, exactly. Um, I was on my second tour of duty to Afghanistan. I served with the uh, the parachute regiment, um, and I was living the best life. To be honest, um, I was a young soldier. Uh, a private soldier um, in in a job that I love, in an environment that I love, and that I thrived in, and doing something that I love. So, so yeah, it it was a very good time. We were five and a half months out in Afghanistan on my second tour, and like I said, we we literally had a few weeks uh, before returning back to the UK and handing over to the to the next platoon taking over from us. Um, we probably deployed that evening on what would have been one of our final missions or operations. And it was a very successful one. Um, and it's only when we were heading back from the target further into the desert to where the helicopters were going to pick us up and fly us back to our camp um, that a call came over the radio saying that the pilot wasn't happy with the landing site, the one that we selected, that we knew it was a clear route out. Um, and we knew it was a safe area. So he'd given us coordinates for a new pickup point. And it's from that moment on, um, we had to then follow an unproven route, as what we will call. Mm-hmm. Um, and this all happens in, in, the, in the cover of darkness. So this is about two o'clock in the early morning hours. Um, and then, yeah, we, we reset our, our GPSs and followed the route. And about half an hour in, 
uh, we spotted some movement on the high ground. A number of guys in the patrol information, not sure who they were. What, we couldn't identify weapons in the dark. Um, they didn't quite know we were there, so we went firm on all go down on one knee, and we shouted out a number of verbal commands to these guys to say that we're in the area, we need no harm, we just need to conduct some searches, and we'll move forward. Um, and they opened up with a spray of AK-47, um, and a big firefight broke out. And it's not so quite later on that we've been informed, or it, it's almost kind of been realized that we walked straight into a, a Taliban stronghold. It was a Taliban training camp, actually, Wow. That was within the area. Um, as we fired on these guys, muzzle flashes from other firing locations were starting to kind of fire back at us. And we soon realized that we were taking on a much larger force than just obviously the few individuals that we saw on the high ground. So, uh, so yeah, a huge firefight broke out. Um, number of times we, we had to call in for air support um, to help uh, utilize the enemy uh, and, and, kind of just push them back a little bit. Um, and about 45 minutes into the firefight, two RPGs, rocket propelled grenades, was fired from my left flank. The first one came over our heads and, fired, uh, and exploded in the distance, and the second one was fired low, bouncing and ricocheting off the ground. And in the side of my night vision goggles, I can just see this glow heading towards me. And I knew that it was going to be close, and I had this this kind of split second reaction of just turning my head away and turning my back to this oncoming rocket. And kind of what saved my life that evening was that I was attached to a sniper. Um, and my job was to help him carry um, a set of ladders. Um, it's telescopic ladders, so you can buy them in B&Q as well. You kind of pull them out and they clip in place and we use them to climb over walls and onto a rooftop or whatever it might be. Um, and you just you know, pull a string or push a button and they collapse and we attach a base after them and then we throw them on our back and we carry on to the next point or house or whatever we, we do. But it was my turn to carry these ladders and they're heavy, they're kind of uncomfortable. But like I said, I was moaning the whole night about it. But that moment in time, I still had them on my back and with that movement of turning around, um, the rocket actually made contact with the ladders um, instead of my ribcage. So that kind of saved my life that evening. Um, Part of the blast was reflected and Mm. severed my arm, my left arm immediately from my body. I got flung up in the air. um, I think I woke up about, must have been five or even six meters away from my original position, from where I was conducting the firefight from. I woke up and I wasn't near that. I'm quite dazed and confused of what just really happened. Um, and very soon, one of my friends also realized that I wasn't where I should be. And he started in the midst of all the explosion and the dust and everything going on, um, kind of started searching for me. And he came upon me and then started helping me with, with first aid medical treatment and then radioed in immediately for, for a medic to come our way because my, all my radio and everything was blown up. Um, I couldn't do anything with it. So, uh, so yeah. Um, and like I say, suddenly I found myself in quite a tricky situation because for so much and for such a big part of my uh, career building up at till that stage was always paying attention, making sure that I'm in a situation that 
if something like that happens to one of my friends, I will be in a situation that I can go, okay, I know what to do. I know how to use a tourniquet. I know what, you know, bandages to use. I know what kind of procedure to follow to save someone's life. Um, and suddenly I'm that guy on the floor hoping that someone, the <laughs> someone guy was listening. Me, yeah. I paid the same attention, but lucky he has. And, uh, and like I say, very soon I received medical treatments from, from a special forces medic. And, uh, and yeah, like I say, he, he kind of kept me alive that night. Wow. Um, so, so yeah, which was just unbelievable. So from that, I mean, that's, that's a truly traumatic event. And, and when we were reading it, I know we were talking, uh, Natasha and I, afterwards, that, that part of the book was just, you brought it to life so amazingly. It's just, it was terrifying for, as a reader. So um, I, I only don't have any idea how it felt like, in, you know, whilst you were going through that. But you came through that and, and then you became an adventurer and a professional athlete. And, and, and all the time you were still struggling with poor mental health. Um, you know, not all the time, but but there were some times. And and your new book opens with you being caught in an avalanche um, on Everest, and and that was just a few few years later from when you were in Afghanistan. So, you know, how, how did you go from Afghanistan to Everest? What was that journey like? Yeah, like you said, it was quite quite a long and a difficult journey. Well, I say long. If you actually look at it on paper, it's actually a very short one. But for myself and experiencing the ups and the downs and the highs and the lows, felt actually quite long. Um, I would say it, it felt like there was a bit of a pause button between the moment getting injured. And I would say it was probably the longest four, three to four months of my life, like being in Salo Hospital, going to Haley Court, getting admitted back to um, Salo Hospital uh, when I got really ill again. Um, but yes, that was probably when my mental health was at its worst and at its um, when I struggled the most because there was this whole sense of I've lost an identity. I knew what I was, you know, I was a soldier. I was extremely fit. Um, I was in good shape. Um, and suddenly I'm laying in a hospital. I went from almost being in the best physical shape of my life to suddenly drinking um, protein shakes through a straw in, wow. in a hospital bed, not even being able to, you know, look after myself or dress myself or, or even, you know, I, I had a, um, a catheter and I, and I had a colostomy. So I couldn't even, you know, it, it was so shocking from being so active and so physically demanding to laying in your bed, not being able to move and requiring the help of assistance of a nurse or a doctor to do almost anything was a big shock. And then suddenly that realization of right. I'm not the old Jacko anymore, but who am I? What am I going to be able to do? And like I say, that re- it was, I couldn't foresee the future of how I would actually live with one arm and a part of my leg missing. And, um, and especially the one thing I struggled most of, and even later on, once I was submitted from, from Haley Court, was the colostomy. Because again, that was just, such a uh, morale breaker for me. It was just something that totally wiped up all my confidence um, by having something like a colostomy on a personal matter. Um, so yeah, it was very, very difficult. But in the meantime, I kind of still kind of pushed on and pushed forward. And I think the biggest night, and the one thing I can recall was literally one night in my hospital bed, crying my eyes out, asking all these questions. And suddenly... 
there was just this flood of tears where I was wondering why, why did I survive? Why did this actually happen to me? And would I have actually been better off dead? And it was just this big emotional outburst. But during that time as well, I realized it was almost like I made peace with what happened to me as well. Because I think from waking up and seeing friends and family and, and the guys from the army and you're so focused on just getting better, getting better, getting better. I, I don't think I've kind of actually realized really what happened to me. And it's once those family members went back to work and my mom and dad had to go back to South Africa and the visitors getting, you know, there's less people visiting you. People's life just carry on and you're still going through this whole journey. That it really settled in of really actually significance of what happened, the significance of losing an arm the uh, abdominal injuries that I sustained, the injuries I sustained to my leg, that this is literally life-changing and career-changing. And because I had this love and a passion for the army, I was really confused about what will I be able to do and where will I be able to go on to. Um, So yes, that was very difficult for me. But that night, something changed and I almost made peace with the fact that I won't be a soldier anymore, that I couldn't be serving in the armed forces anymore. Um, and I think once my mind and my body was in sync, there was just, just the biggest relief I've ever had. Um, and suddenly I actually saw this kind of almost like a fast forward button on my recovery, both mentally and physically, and mostly physically. It was almost like my body was holding me back until my brain was in the right place to then move forward. Because all I wanted to be was back, on the, back in Afghanistan, back on the range, back with the boys. But it felt like my body was kind of aware that that was never going to happen. And until I made that mental adjustment and mental acceptance that that might not happen ever again, was that my body was like, okay, we're speaking the same language now. Now we can start recovering and let's then go and find out what we can do. And that led on to pushing myself, learning to walk again, learning to run again, doing marathons, and then coming up to the expedition of the North Pole. So, yeah. And that's a lot to deal with because you were still, you know, when you say you're, tw- you're, you're very young, you're early 20s when, when this has happened, like that's, that must be, must have been so overwhelming. Like there's a lot to dig deep in there, isn't there? Yeah, very much. Well, the, <laughs> the explosion the night of my injury uh, was my 23rd birthday. So, so it's um, it's a bit of a big candle that I couldn't blow out. Uh, we always joke about that because um, within the the military guys and the veteran side of it as well, we we all have two birthdays now. So your actual birthday, the day you're born, and your happy alive day, where it's almost like your second chance, your second life was born. Oh. And I always feel a bit left out because they're literally on the same day for me. So, uh, so yeah, I I, I, I have to celebrate one big time rather than twice a year yeah yeah. but yes you're right I was 23 years old I was young um and yeah it was almost just like I I just realized like right you have to step up um and and I think part of that process was was it would have been very easy for me just to give up that's the easy answer out I think to everything is to actually just give up and and I can't I can't deny the fact that thoughts have gone from my head of, of how I do that and how I potentially end my life to a degree. And then I suddenly realized that if I do so, I will let the enemy win 
I will let the Taliban win. They didn't kill me that night, mm. but they changed my life. But they might as well kill me. And that will be a tick in the box for them. That will be a win on their side. And I decided that that can't happen. That is just something that's not in my DNA. It's not, yeah, it's not what I joined the army for. It's not what I stand for, for my regiment as well. And I knew that I had to go off to live a fulfilled life. So you you sound like you had a lot of strength there, but we often hear from world-leading athletes, such as yourself, that you do need determination and you do need a, a steely focus. But I guess the question comes to mind that how can you have such a steely attitude, a, a focus of mind, if you're battling with mental health issues? Because surely they're, they're going against each other. Um, how did you cope then with, you know, you, want, you must have known you needed to have that steely focus, but then you've got those demons inside with, you know, from a mental health perspective. Yeah, for me, it was having a purpose of why I was doing stuff. And I think that's very, very important. Um, for me, at that stage, it was my family. It was proving to them. It was showing them that I'm okay. That, and especially for my mom, it was showing her that I will be fine. I will be able to look after myself. So that was, for me, a driving force. Obviously, within the army as well, we received extremely well uh, you know, mental health support. And we had regular sessions where we were capable of talking to someone of anything that bothered you, anything and uh, that, that, that might be a disturbance. And, and they had some fantastic methods of, of how to deal with that. And, but I think even just talking about it, sharing those loads, sharing those problems uh, was amazing to do so. On, and, and, and the one thing as well is that, yes, you still need to have the determination, the drive, and the passion to do it. But the one thing I've learned, and especially from the expedition part as well, and I look back on it now, and I couldn't have gone through my rehabilitation from that moment of injury to going on to what, you know, even standing on the, on the top step of, of, of a Paralympics in, in, in Tokyo. I could not achieve any of that without a team around me. And that is literally from day one, from the nurses, from the physiotherapists, from the occupational therapists, to your consultant, you know, to your teammates in the North Pole and on Everest, your your physios, your your masseuse, uh, you know, your mechanic in, in in bike racing, we're all there as a team. And and you know, someone there's always someone that they, that's willing and capable to listen or to share a burden with you or to go you you know even just to share uh, an experience to go you know what I've I've experienced something similar and I found this a really good method. So for me, my, the best method or the best uh, um, way of dealing with stuff for me was to talk, was actually asking for help and talking to someone. And I think family and friends definitely play their part in that, don't they? And they do have to definitely show up. And we definitely have to say congratulations because you got new, you uh, only got married at the start of the year, didn't you? Congratulations. Yes. Yeah. yeah, thank you. Yeah, a new thank addition to the team. <laughs> Say again, sorry. A new addition to that support team for you in uh, your your wife. Very much so, and she's she's the biggest supporter, and she's the one person I can turn to at any time. She she's my best friend, um, and 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 I'm extremely lucky to have someone like her by my side, and and especially during um, those very stressful moments and the build up to big competitions when. You just start, you know, it's natural to suddenly start doubting yourself. It's like, 
can I actually do this? Can I actually perform on this stage and on, on, at that level that's required? And have I done the right training? Uh, you know, am I focused enough? Uh, and she always backs me. She's always in my corner going, listen, you're tired. And it's only because I'm tired. And she's like, you're emotional because it means so much to you. Um, because you're invested in it emotionally and physically. You're invested in everything you do. And that is why you're having this. But, you know, you can do it. And she's really, she's always there. And I can literally come back after a training ride. Don't feel like it's gone to plan. And she can just say the right thing. And I'm going to write, I'm, I'm there, I'm ready for tomorrow. And tomorrow's a new day and we'll, we'll, we'll pack it again. And we just keep building on top of what we need to do. But yes, definitely. She, she's most 100% one of the, the biggest support systems and structures in my life. That's so great. So, so you go for wives, I think. <laughs> I think um, you, you've oft, you've said that you're often your own worst enemy, actually. Um, and, and in your book, you talk about your own self doubt and that it's a terrible thing, um, and and that actually suddenly the world can seem a very dark place. So, before your wife, um, you know, and and you, that that pressure, I guess, can't all be on your wife. There's got to be other ways for you to for you cope for you to cope. So. Um, can you tell us about some of those? Yeah, most definitely. It's like you say, it, it's amazing how our inner dialogue that we can have with ourselves actually have a very big impact on what we do and how we perform and, and just how we live on a daily basis. Um, I met what's now a very good friend of mine. I met a guy in a gym one day, very randomly. He saw me... <laughs> doing exercises with a prosthetic arm on and he realized obviously I haven't got an arm but he was extremely impressed by just the fact that I'm out there and I'm doing my uh, just you know being active and, and, and physically um, strong and stuff and he, he just came up to me and started talking to me and he's like you know what I, I do also do a bit of work on, on the mental side of it I, uh, but so he was a, a mental health coach um, and we met up a few times and Actually, in the past as well, uh, from my own back, I, I had an interest in um, NLP, in neurologistical programming. Oh, yeah. um, and it's something that I found extremely helpful, uh, in a sense. Um, and I started working with Dale uh, Hancock, who was the, the, the mind coach, and I started seeing him. And like I say, it, again, it's just you can be such a burden on yourself and you can doubt yourself so much. And there's so many ways where... You can, you can get rid of those voices in your head. You can turn those into positives and you can turn bad feelings and, and take rid of all the emotions of it um, on a subconscious way. Um, but, and there's ways and methods to do that. And there's people like him that's fully trained to do so. And because I had an experience of uh, NLP before, I understood it. And like I said, I, I actually get... Uh, I believe in it as well. Not not belief, but like I say, I understand the methodology about behind it. So when we do some some of those sessions, I, I really get into it. And and again, he can see the reaction from my face and, and colors changing and, and my eyelids going and stuff like that. So a very strong connection with that. And I use sale for many things from my personal life to my sporting career where, and again, you know, I walked into that, uh, velodrome into Tokyo with the confidence that I knew that I've done everything. I knew I was the best. I knew I was the fastest. And I can only do what I can do on the day as well. I was almost like 
to a degree, like I've, I've made uh, peace with, like I can only do, if someone goes faster than me, amazing, but they're going to have to go really fast because <laughs> I know and I believe in myself that I am the fastest in the world. And like I say, it's not from a cocky point of view. It's not from a big headed point of view. It, it was from a point of view that I, if you believe in yourself and because what the other guys were thinking, and I'm 100% sure they were, was like, oh my goodness, have I trained enough? Mm. Am I fast enough? Have I, have I got the right gear on? And all these questions where I was just like confident with the work. And I've done a lot of work in that to get to that place. And that wasn't from one or two sessions. That's from multiple, multiple, multiple sessions. Mm. Seeing him, working on something, making sure everything else in your life is also in a good place. You can't just work on just on the Paralympics and being on that stage. Everything else in your life has to be in a good place for that moment to be in a good place. So yes, so I, I do use a mind coach and I've seen significant results um, from doing so. Yeah, I, I noticed in the book you said um, a strong mentality is your secret weapon um, and I loved that um, and I've written it down a few times um, since I read it um, and clearly that 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 played its part um, in in all of the achievements, um, and I think we've talked about you know the link between mental 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 and physical um, well being and and the two being in tandem. And we actually um, we asked um, our listeners, so we went onto socials and asked listeners, you know, do they believe that there's a link between good mental and physical good physical health and um it was overwhelming every person that responded said yes that you know the two have you know are, are, there is a, a correlation there mm. isn't there yeah and we, we and we did some reading around and and there's a lot of research that shows that, that people with um, mental health problems are more likely to have preventable health problems as well and you know things like heart um disease and things like that and and we asked the question you know why and there's a few there's a few reasons around genetics around motivation people maybe you know have have a problem in a low motivation or lack of support um and sometimes they're less likely to re- receive medical help as well um and then we also have to remember of course that medical uh, sorry mental health problems themselves actually can come with some physical symptoms so there's such a lot to, to unpick and, and one in four of us in the UK will suffer from poor mental health at any one time. And then the numbers are just, you know, astonishing. Um, and I suppose one of the questions uh, back to you, I suppose, Jacko, is, you know, what, what are your thoughts for the future? How are you going to stay for you, for you to stay mentally strong? Yeah, no, it's a wonderful question. But, and I, I 100% agree as well with what you just said. There, there's no doubt, and especially speaking for myself and experience for myself, is it's it's the times when I'm injured or it's the times when I can't train or even it's the times when I my body actually needs a rest because obviously I'm on a on a much higher level of as a professional athlete and sometimes my body calls for a rest which is perfectly fine, but it is those times that when I'm not training or I'm forced and I'm in a position not to train. Uh, out of my own will that I I truly suffer the most or I truly yes feel I definitely don't, don't feel the same as the days that I do train and the days that I can just get a little bit of fresh air and again like I say, it doesn't have to be to my extreme it doesn't have to be x amount of hours on a bike it could be from walking it can be from swimming and um, my wife um, recently you speak spoke to a friend of hers and she's like 
she started taking up swimming because of her little daughter. Uh, while she was with the swimming lessons, she thought, well, she must make, you know, just make the most of the time in any way and started swimming. And she, within the first week of actually just physically being active and doing something and getting her heart rate up a tiny bit, she couldn't believe mm. how much it's changed herself as well. Um, and now she's absolutely 100% convinced of doing something. And like I said, whether that's a 15-minute swim while your, 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 your son or your daughter's doing lessons or taking a 20-minute walk, whatever it might be, there, it, it is so good for the body to be active, for the mind to be, to be physically active as well and getting fresh air and oxygen. Um, for myself, to answer your question in a long I, I'm sure that there's plenty to do out there. Um, obviously, we <laughs> didn't make it to the top of Everest, so we, we still have to go back. Oh, you're going back? It goes back. Oh, 100%. Oh, yeah. wow. It's, once I'm finished with a professional cycling <laughs> career, because they're actually the two opposites. Yeah. As a cyclist, you, you try to stay off your feet as long as possible. <laughs> you know, you're, if you're not on a bike, you're sitting down on a sofa or you're laying on a bed. You oh. try to walk as little as possible. <laughs> So actually trying to do Everest while cycling is, it, it, it's not good. Uh, apart from the altitude training, it will be great. But the amount of time on your feet, is, it's not great. But we'll definitely go back. I, I will always cycle. I, was always, I will always run. I will always be in the gym. And there's so many other amazing challenges that I want to go out and, and, and tackle and, and, and things I want to achieve. And, and even experience alongside other people and especially my wife as well to go out and and do some of the climbing stuff um, and, and hill walking and stuff like that. So there will always be an element of, of exercise within my life, 100%. You've clearly uh, got no fear whatsoever, <laughs> have you? There's just uh, no barriers there. Go and get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like you say, again, I think, um, I think everyone's uh, uh, kind of opinion or, or, or vision changes because, again, I... I, yes, I, I do. I am, you know, there's a big burning desire to do go back to Everest and, and attempt it again. I will approach it from a much different point of view. I have uh, a wife now and uh, there's other things in our lives that matters. When I first attempted it, I was, you know, again, I was a young boy. I was excited. I was, it's a new extreme to challenge. And that constantly evolves. And I think people need to be realistic about that as well. Um, that's, yeah, whatever you do, there's, there's a constant involvement within your life and, and your surroundings. And sometimes, um, yeah, you don't have to do the most extreme thing. Uh, or, or, like I say, everything in five years might not be as appealing as it still is for me now because my life would have changed then. Mm. And maybe it doesn't have to be Everest. It could be, you know, Snowden or something like that. It's just as big of a challenge as Everest is for many people because, yeah, it, it's all measurable. Um, and and that's, I, I really want to bring that out. Like I say, I don't want people to go out and sign up for challenges that's utterly, you know, unachievable <laughs> within their situation. Yeah. Because that's for me, that it, it needs to be that extreme. It needs to be the big thing. Mm. Um, and that's how I love pushing myself. But for someone actually, like I say, actually just a challenge for them might be doing one lap of their local park because mm. of a, a physical injury and a, or, or, or a barrier of some degree. And that's perfectly fine. You might have to do a few half laps or a few extra things to eventually get around the park. There's always a way and a method uh, to get there. Um, and, and especially on Everest, you don't just climb Everest. You, you have to acclimatize to it 
you have to acclimatize to the high altitudes before you even get close to the summit. And those, you know, those are the times you really learn a lot about yourself. And you have to reach a certain height to come back down to adjust to the altitude. And then when we, you go from, the, from base camp to camp one the second time, it's much easier. And you follow that process all the time. And it's the same in life. You know, we need to see these challenges we're facing. We need to see these difficult times as learning times. What do I'm learning about myself? And if I come across this difficult time again, whatever it might be, what have I learned this previous time? And then you, you will have a method to get around it. You have, you'll have a method to deal with it. Oh, I need to speak to that friend. Oh, I need to put X, Y, Z in place to then get across. Or oh, I've been here before. I know what the outcome is. So you just move forward um, and you keep doing that. And eventually you will reach your Everest. So, so yeah, so eventually that, that was a path will, will be easier. I think, I think you're absolutely right. Everybody can't reach Everest. Uh, and there's two people in front of you. <laughs> definitely, definitely not nope. going there, anywhere Everest, near Everest. But I think people can start um, at their own pace, as you say. And, and sometimes maybe if physical exercise is you know, the, the thing that will really help them with their men- mental health. And maybe a small step would be looking at nutrition, first of all, because obviously that's a, a building block to good physical health as well, which we know, but it's becoming more known now as a, as a mental health sort of... Um, uh, Supportive tool? Yeah, 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 a tool, yeah. And is that something that, that you found that was important with your mental health as well, was, it, was in terms of nutrition at all? Yeah, very much so. And 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 again, it you know we're all just human. We we do sometimes all fall a little bit off the wagon and <laughs> and you know just have that few or too many burgers or pizzas or whatever it might be. But I've I've been lucky. I've always uh, been into somewhat of healthy eating and 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 living a healthy life. But there is times when when I don't, and especially during the off season when you just need to switch off a little bit. But from knowing what I was, from where I come from and the way I used to feel, I immediately feel that I'm more tired. I mm. immediately feel that I am more sleepy. And um, it's a lot harder mentally to concentrate as well when I do have those periods off, which is really important. I'm talking about from a professional athlete's point of view. But sometimes in life as well, you just need to kind of have a little break and look mm. back off how far you've come as well. But like I say, the, the point I do want to make is from, from living a fairly healthy life and eating really well to then having that time off and, and, and kind of treating yourself a little bit. The effect on, on both my physical and mental health really, really, def- it's immediately. Mm-hmm. So there's a definite link and a, yeah. you know, a, a, a most definite of like by eating healthy and drinking enough water throughout the day and, and having a balanced diet as a significant place to play within your mental health as well. Yeah, and I guess it's not all about spending loads of money on on quinoa and avocado, <laughs> who's all personal trainers. We can, you know, everybody's, you know, has, has got access to, you know, good nutrition and to, to some form of exercise, even if it's just slowly walking around the park or, or wherever that might be. Yeah. I think what's amazing in this day and age in the life we do live in is that, there is so much available mm. on the internet. And yes, obviously make sure that it's from a reliable source and stuff like that, but there is so much free help out there. Mm. Um, 
that you can follow. And, and like you say, you don't have to spend money to, like you say, see a nutritionist or get a diet plan or, or buy certain foods. There is small, um, very small tips, uh, a few easy things that's changeable within your daily routine that will make significant changes. Yeah, definitely. I um I signed up for Couch to Five K, which is like the free the free app. But actually, it was really helpful um because I can't or couldn't run like further than the end of the road. But like things like that that actually like encourage you a little bit more. I I think are quite helpful. I signed up for that too, and, and like played it once and then sat back down. <laughs> <laughs> you were you were cycling, weren't you? In, Laying yeah. on the sofa. In in my defence, I've got an arthritic knee. <laughs> Yeah, and that's a that, that's the thing as well. It, it's finding something that's best for you. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and that's that's what the individual like. I say not everyone needs to be runners or or cyclists or mountaineers. Yeah, you know, there's so many activities and there's specific equipment in the gym. Like you say, if you've got a knee that you can use that will take off the pressure from it, and you can still be active swimming. You know, again, or cycling the perfect way of or, or if you are into running and you you don't because again some of these other like cycling it's you know it's expensive sport and even if even on a low level getting a bike getting shoes getting yeah. a helmet it's expensive to get into some of these sports so there's so many other ways of of staying active and and and, and living a, a, a healthy and a positive life yeah and I think when people are just starting out it can be quite daunting because that first moment of okay I'm gonna make this change in my life like even that can be like really Mm. stressful can't it you know like the prospect of even stepping outside the front door so yeah I like the idea of that kind of small incremental changes that can then have that bigger overall impact on your kind of life and well-being it's it's important yeah um and yeah. i've always found the best thing that works for me is having a challenge it's it's having it having something to work towards so like you say that couch to 5k mm. so sign up for that 5k so literally go on the internet book your local 5k whether it's a park run whether it's whatever it might be mm. in your local area put a date to it and go right i need to be to a certain degree by that level because that will give you the focus that will give you that push to do that um, and like I said be it at a run or a bike or a, a gym session or whatever it might be um, I found that is much easier for me to to be able to stay motivated um, and to commit to the training and mm. to the regime and to uh, everything else that kind of goes with it because otherwise if you're just training for training sake mm. I find that very difficult to do like why am I breaking myself today why looking at a training plan oh, i'm gonna i need to go for you know a four-hour bike ride but it's raining outside and the wind's howling and i'm like well <laughs> no but if i know that oh that four-hour bike ride is part of something on the pathway mm. to a competition or to a world championships the motivation for me is there because that's part of what i need to do yeah. um so that's that's how i find it personally as well it's it's almost having that challenge in there having that commitment that this is why i'm doing it where come rain or shine i'll be out there training i think that's why possibly why a lot of people's uh, mental health really suffered during the lockdowns of covid because Mm. there is limited access to physical um exercise and there wasn't there there, there were goals were there you know you just sort of wanted to avoid covid and that that was the goal and i think that you know that was responsible for a lot of people's poor mental health now how did you get through that yeah, no, you're right. Um, I can 100% agree with that. And, and you've seen, and like I say, I think 
we've coped with it pretty well in the beginning, but for just the duration that it went mm. on, yes, it, it started falling apart because it was a change in our lifestyle. It yeah. was a change. It was almost like that, you know, ch- they say change is good as a holiday. Sometimes, oh, it's actually nice working from home and it's nice mm. being around the kids and everything else. But then that's big, for the duration that it went on, that didn't work in the end. And then it's almost like we needed another change. But um, yeah, it was, it was, it was difficult, um, especially for, for me. Um, I was, as an athlete point of view, uh, I was in the preparation for the Paralympic mm. Games, which was supposed to be that year. Um, I was in extremely good form. I just won three world championships. Uh, titles um, and like you say so so I was on on a big high I was very confident in my abilities and suddenly from being in this best shape that I've been in a long while and all the forms there and all the hard work's paying off and I'm seeing all the good results knowing that I can sustain that for another two to three months which is perfect because that's when the game is the games will be um, to suddenly that went from three months to 18 months mm, and wow. you knew that oh that's impossible so it was like a whole different mind shift it was it was literally like i said it was that that reason why i get up that reason why i break myself the reason why i really hurt myself on specific efforts specific training um, i was sitting in a uh, in a i was sitting in a makeshift um what did a good call it a, a like a tomato tent a, a, a a greenhouse, greenhouse, a tiny little greenhouse, because we had to acclimatize to, because again, we couldn't use the facilities of uh, the Institute of Sport and at uh, British Cycling, because again, with COVID, everything was shut. Oh, so I sat in a makeshift greenhouse to acclimatize <laughs> to the, 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 the heat thought, and the humidity that we will be, you know, um, we'll be um, riding in, 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 in Tokyo. Um, and the one day I was just, I was dripping with sweat. I was in such, you know, the, we call it the herd locker. I was in such a big herd locker. And it suddenly just clicked. And although, we, we, and at this stage, we've already heard the news. It was already confirmed that Tokyo is, is, is moving on um, 18 months time. But I was still in that mindset of finding to train because my Tokyo was still going to be this, mm. that, that summer. And suddenly it just sank in going, why am I doing, I, I'm literally like, you have to regulate it. My body temperature just went so high. I felt dizzy and I was just like, why am I doing this? Mm. And, and, I, and I can't sustain this for another 18 months. So yeah, I, I realized, say, okay, it's a whole new mind shift. Mm. Uh, totally, because I was still in that games mind shift that I'm just going to win. I'm going my first Paralympics, make the most of it. Um, and it took a little bit of readjustment to kind of go, okay, step back a bit recover a little bit and we start again and we work backwards from that date of what I need to do when and where. So, so yeah, mm. it, it was a difficult time, but like I said, I had a great team around me again from, from recycling point of view and uh, helping with that. And, and my wife and we love, we're one of those couples. I would say probably we're one of those irritating couples <laughs> that loves each other's company. We can be together and around each other day and night. Uh, we get along very well. Like I said, we're best friends and, we loved it. It was actually really hard. Once I went to my, once my first competition after COVID, which is probably probably a year and a half on from that. Um, apart from the, well, actually no, it was leaving for Tokyo, was the hardest thing ever because oh. we've just been in each other's company and pockets the whole time. And the saddest thing, even more, was that 
she has, since we've met, she has been at every single race that I've ever ridden when we were together. Doesn't matter how small or how big it was, from local domestic little time trial that I do to world championships. And now the biggest race of all of them, she couldn't even go. She couldn't be in the crowd. Um, and like I say, from living with each other all that time to suddenly being, I think it was nearly five weeks apart because we had to form a COVID bubble with the team. Um, and then that, you know, three weeks out in Tokyo in itself. So yeah, it was five to six weeks wow. of, of not being with each other. And I think the biggest thing for me, and that really struck me, once I won it, but it's once I received my medal and I looked up and there was no one in the crowd, mm. I was like, that was a difficult moment where I really missed her. And I was like, this is where I've built up to this moment for so long. And that's where you really want that friends and family to be there to witness that and share that moment with them. And then, yeah, there was nothing but just the staff and a few TV cameras. So that was a difficult moment. I can't imagine that, you know, you've worked so hard. Like there's a lot to pull yourself through there, isn't there? Yeah, just watching it on the TV, it just felt so hollow for everyone there. And it felt, I felt so, you know, I don't feel sorry for you because you're like a, a human specimen of a person. <laughs> like, um, but I felt sorry for you as a as an athlete, I suppose, that just thinks, oh my gosh, that you've tried, as you say, you've trained for so long and you just, just to look out into the crowd, as you can just imagine that's what you've always wanted. And, and you know, you've got to just imagine that they're watching on TV and you can't see their reaction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it was hard. And like I say, it, it, it's quite ironic as well, because I was, I'm a prodigy from, I'm, I'm the reason why we host these games, because I was that person in the crowd at the London Olympic and Paralympic Games. And I sat in that crowd watching these athletes perform to these amazing levels and yeah. how amazingly the crowd interacted and cheered and, and just got involved. And I, that, I was literally like, I want a little bit of this. I want to be that athlete. I don't want to be in the seat. I want to be that guy on the field. Eight years later, we got there. And then, yeah, Aww. there was no one even allowed in Aww. the in the velodromes or on, on, on the stadiums and stuff like that. So, yeah. But like I say, it's apart from the hard work and everything else and the achievements, mm. uh, after all, yes, you know, we're very happy and proud of, of, of the outcome. But, yeah, sad that it's mm. the way that the world was kind of turned really definitely um we're close to wrapping up here um and i just wanted to say and go back to what we said at the beginning so we refer to inclusion as an action it's a doing thing um you've you you know you've released this book um but i'm keen to know what's your like top tip or one thing you want people to take away as like an inclusive action that you'd want to share I would just want to, people to to recognise that just to never give up. Um, sometimes, you know, life will throw so many obstacles and hurdles in our way. And 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 I'll put my hand up. I face these challenges still on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis. That I still go through difficult times, and I still sometimes feel like, wow. How am I going to get out of this? But it's by putting one step in front of the other, one foot in front of the other. Just, just keep moving forward and you will get through whatever tough time you are facing at this moment in time. You will get through it. And 
also be very, very aware that there's a lot of help out there. You don't have to struggle on your own. And that's probably my biggest tip is that don't ever struggle on your own. Be that a friend, be that a family member, be that someone totally anonymous. Um, you make use of the services that's available, mm. but never be on your own and know that you can you can achieve anything in your life. Just keep moving forward. What a great top tip. Mm, definitely. Thank you so much for spending the time with us, Jacko. It's just it's been so extraordinarily, I think, uplifting to hear about that even mere mortals like us can can sort of like get to your level well ish but we can if we've got a goal that's it I think if if we just need goals and we can just think that there is a link between mental and physical health and we just need to be very aware of it I think so thank you so much for your time it's been brilliant. We really, really appreciated you coming on and being so open and honest and lots lots of things for us to take away. And I think just reaffirming that, you know, small steps, actually, like you say, you know, what's a what is a big challenge for you? Mm. It doesn't have yeah. to be my big challenge, but equally it can be something that's a bit more a bit more relatable. <laughs> <laughs> Snowden exactly. even Snowden exactly still feels that. like quite a big challenge, but you know, we, we need to put a date in the diary, Dr. Yeah. Julie. <laughs> <laughs> And that's the thing. Put that date in. Work towards that. That's the thing. Put that line. Put that land. Put that uh, that line in the sand and, and and get to it. Well, that was a surprising conversation. I wasn't really sure what to expect. I hadn't come across Jacko um, until we read his book, which was so so insightful and made me made me feel actually like I haven't achieved quite enough in my short life you want to do a bit more then I know well he did say didn't he you know actually we can all do a bit more and Mm. but whatever's relative to us so you know we don't have to go out tomorrow and do Snowdon or Mount Everest you could just be your local park and just doing a lap around that and that for me was a big takeaway yeah definitely because he was um it was really understanding when I was talking about not being a a good runner or you know into sports particularly and he and and I love the way he lit up when he started talking about how physical health can affect his mental health I think that was the whole point wasn't it you know trying to yeah. get under the skin of that and and when he started talking about that and when he started talking about his wife he just lit up and it was you know I thought it was a really nice podcast and I think his book um is definitely something that I think I'll reread mm. because there's some really really good highlights in there and people out there listeners followers um clearly agree we asked do you believe there is a link between good mental and physical health and I guess just to reiterate everybody said yes um so it's clearly something that we all have in our mind that that kind of physical and mental well-being is super important it is but then people as we said in the conversation with Jacko that people might think it's important but actually do they do it do they do anything about it do they take it seriously but you know as long as we know that there is a a link then we can try and do something about it you can find us on twitter our handles are in the show notes below and if you've liked what you've heard please rate us wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to get new episodes automatically thanks for listening